You guys are great. It's, it's always fun with the singles because it's like, man, you get in with the old crusties and they just kind of slow down. I have a hard time with the slowness. So it's good. It's good. I, I even just felt, I felt great about our singing. It was really encouraging to me. And just, man, you guys got a lot of energy. It's a Friday night. We're together. We're worshiping God. Amen. I want to I kind of start off. There's no mic tonight, so I need to project. That's right. I can actually play to the crowd a little bit. Right. It's kind of cool. Hopefully I don't like lose my spot and have to like come back. But anyway, so tonight I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you how significant you feel in the eyes of God right now. In this whole group, how do you feel, you know, as it pertains to affecting God? Now, do you feel like, you know, maybe I feel pretty good. I feel like I'm really affecting God right now. Or maybe is it, ah, uh, maybe, sort of, I don't know. So how many people feel like, man, I'm really affecting God right now? I personally, if no one else here, I personally affecting God. Yeah, like, affecting God. Do you feel like your heart is moving God? Do you feel like you personally, like God is zoning in on you? And, and, and really zoning in on you, like, you feel that? Maybe, sort of, okay, sure. How about the other end? How about the other end? You're like, ah, uh, I mean... I could be here, I could not be, I feel like the, 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 you know, the fellowship be the same. Okay. So we're kind of split. There's, there's some on one side, there's some on the other, there's kind of a bunch in the middle, just kind of like, it's been a long day. <laughs> Amen. It's been a long day for me too. I was up early. But I've been studying out a lot lately. I've been studying out what it means to fear God. I've been studying out a little bit of the Spirit. And there's been something that's been really interesting that's come up. It's been really interesting to kind of learn how God focuses in on people. You know, there's all these circumstances in the Bible where something happens and these people are picked out of this massive crowd. There's all these people around. And God zeroes in on this one person and picks them out because of something they've done. You know, some aspect of faith, some aspect of disbelief sometimes or disobedience. But God takes a very pointed view in our, in our relationship with Him. I don't know if you realize that, but God really zeroes in to you. I don't know if you realize that, but if, if this entire place, if we're all worshiping God, you know, and, and one person is kind of like, ah, you know, I'm not feeling it. God feels that. You know, maybe, I know sometimes we can kind of miss it. You know, people are worshiping, and you're like, ah, oh, well, I'm not kind of like feeling it. And, and worship kind of continues, you know, sort of the same, right? I mean, despite whether you feel good about it or not, worship just sort of continues, right? For God, it doesn't. You know, for God, He zeroes in on that. He sees that and He's like, what's going on? What what happened to us? We we were doing so good. What happened? You know, God zeroes in the opposite. When when things aren't really going well for everyone else around you, they're struggling, they're having a hard time, and you're like, amen, God, I'm faithful. You know, I don't know how, but I'm faithful. God zeroes in on that. He's like, amen, I see you. I'm with you. I'm here. I see you. I'm I'm, going to take care of you. And it's interesting, just studying this out, it's been really interesting to see. I mean, I'm only going to share a, a few examples of it, but there are countless examples of how God pulls out particular people for what they've done. He pulls out particular examples and names them by name in many cases because what they did is important. And so tonight I have three very basic points. They're kind of really simple it's not anything life-changing that you're like, oh my gosh, the Greek of whatever. No, it's not that. I'm going to be talking about knowing God, 
following his wishes, and sharing his heart. You know, the, the, the kind of crazy thing is, uh, you know, we've been studying the Bible with this guy, and uh, it's been really incredible. The guy is wrestling through it, really wrestling. But he's the only person that I've ever got up at 4 in the morning to go meet to study the Bible. Like, get up, have to meet him at 5.30 in the morning so we can study the Bible, because that's the only time it works. And you know what? I, when, it, when it first got set up, I was hoping he wouldn't agree to it, to be very honest. I was just like, I hope it doesn't work, because I don't really want to get up that early. But he's like, no, okay, I'll do that. And so then, after the first time, I was like, okay, well, he probably won't want to do this again. And he's like, okay, let's do it again. And so this has been going on for a couple months now, and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, when's this going to end? But the guy is going for it. You know, the guy is going for it. And you know that with every relationship you have, with every relationship you have in your life, you do something called a cost-benefit analysis. Does anyone know what a cost-benefit analysis is? Right. I mean, all the financial people are like, absolutely I do. But basically, you just weigh the cost versus the benefit. You know, like, all right, this is how much it's going to cost me, and this is what I'm getting from it. I don't know if that balances out, so I'm not going to get it. You know, I'm not going to pursue it. Everyone does that with their relationships. It's this unconscious thing that you do that you just kind of go through your relationships and it, it determines if you're going to spend time on it. It determines if you're going to give to it. It determines if that relationship is going to grow because either it's worth it or it's not. And I think a lot of us, we do that cost-benefit analysis with God and He comes up a little short. I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes God is not always the priority. God is not always the first thing we think of. God is not always... The thing that we're like, you know what, i got some free time. Who can I call? Who can I pray with? Who can I sit down with? You know, I know that that's not me. I mean, I, maybe you guys are just really spiritual and you're like, absolutely, that's me. But that's not always our heart. No, that's not always where we're at. And I'm realizing more and more that no matter what happens, that no matter, you know, what goes on with everyone else, and now this is something that, you know, when I'm studying the Bible with people, this is always something that's repeated a couple of times at least. But it has to be personal. It has to be personal. Above all else, these things have to be personal. You know, what I share with you tonight, you can't take this home and be like, these are my convictions. I mean, you can be like, you know what, I need to study this out, and maybe they will be. But I can't tell you. I can't tell you what your relationship is going to be. I do know that God has a special place in his heart for the people that respond to him on a personal level. That get it. You know, that just sort of, they just get it. And there's nothing that they're like, hey God, I get it, I have the answers. They just show it. You know, there's something about their life, there's something about what they do, they just show it. So open your Bibles to Mark 5. This is where we're going to start out. Mark 5, we're going to read a little bit here. And really focusing on knowing who God is. And I'm not talking about, alright, you know what, I read Matthew and, and I read Genesis and I have these kind of facts in my head about, you know, what he's done and I could probably, you know, do the picture book about and all that stuff. No, it's like, really know. You know, like, when you know what a fireman does, you expect certain things of him, Right? Right? You expect certain things of a fireman. He should know how to fight a fire, right? right? At a very basic level, he should know how to fight a fire. A policeman, a teacher, there's certain things when you know what they do, it's not just like, okay, I know this fact, but there's an expectation that comes with it. 
And so, we, we, we jump in, and uh, is everyone there? Anyone got that? All right. We're going to be reading, um, in, in verse 21, I'm going to read a little bit here. It says, When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd had gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly to him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt her body was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and he said, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crying against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You know, I see this and I can't help but, you know, kind of feeling what the disciples felt. You know, there's this whole mass of people crying. They're just crushed in all around them. You know, it's like, like a concert and you just can't move. You're just, you know, trying to fight through. Excuse me. Trying to get through here. And he's moving and he can barely get through. There's all kinds of people. And he's like, who touched me? And I'm sure the disciples are like, uh, about a bazillion people? I don't know. Pretty much everyone around you has touched you in some way. You know, but that's not what Jesus asked. He didn't say, who touched me? He said, who touched my clothes? There's a difference. Who touched my clothes? And so all the disciples, are, all the disciples can think is, wow, Jesus has lost it. He's been out in the sun too long. He's been, I mean, everybody is touching him. Every, I mean, his clothes are on his body. What is, what is it? All right, this guy's crazy. So Jesus won't let it go, though. Jesus doesn't let it go. Jesus is like, no, someone touched me. You know, like, <laughs> someone's like, I've been violated. But no. <laughs> he's like, he's like, there's something, like, he knew it. Like, someone touched me. And so, basically, he makes such a, a deal out of it that the woman's like, man, I can't, I can't hide. I can't hide anymore. I, I, I gotta come forward. And, and she's almost embarrassed. Like, she's almost kind of embarrassed that she has to come before him. She falls before him. And she's like, you know, it was me. And I can imagine Jesus at that moment just melting. You know, seeing this woman. Knowing how she suffered. You know, seeing her face and, and seeing everything that she's gone through. And him being Jesus, knowing her past and knowing everything that she's gone through with these doctors and who knows what kind of crazy, you know, things that they were trying to do to, to heal her. I mean, she suffered through this. And he sees this and he's just broken for her. And he's like, your faith has made you well. But there's something even deeper about it. You know, that with her, I don't know if you know the story, but with her, it wasn't just the fact that she came for healing. It wasn't like she's like, you know what, there's this great musician, the, uh, magician around that, that heals people, and I think that he's powerful enough that if I just touch his magic cloak, that I'll get well. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. There's actually um, a scripture in Malachi. Malachi 4.2. You can write it down and check it out later. Malachi 4.2 talks about the Son of Righteousness will come with healing in His wings. The, the word for wings is, is kanaf. 
back in the Old Testament, you know, this is, you know, Moses writing down the laws of the land and, and everything's being laid out. And he tells the people, you know, for you and your sons and your daughters and everyone who will come after you, I want you to make these tassels. And I want you to attach them to the edge of your garment. And the edge of your garment, the word is kanaf. It can mean edge, it can mean wing. But basically, it was just, you have to attach these things which, which represent the promises of God. You know, each one of these little tassels, the, the, they're called tzitzit, are representative of the things that God has promised that He will hold true to. So, Jesus, you know, being a Torah observant Jew, being a rabbi, would be wearing this stuff. I mean, this is, this is the law. This is the law. He would be upholding the law and wearing these things. So this woman comes and she grabs that edge where the tzitzit are, the kanaf. And she has in her head this, this scripture that, that she knows and she's heard and she's like, maybe... I believe that, that, that possibly, maybe, this man is a son of God. And so she grabs it, and she's healed. And so when Jesus pulls her out, it wasn't, I don't think it was to shame her. I don't think it was to, to, to do anything like that, where he wanted to just put her out in front of everybody. But he recognized her heart, her faith. And if you look through the scriptures, some of the, some of the most poignant times that Jesus has with people are the people who recognize who he is. You know, these people that, that just get it. I know who you are, Lord. You know, I can't go anywhere else. You know, you have eternal life. You know, he's, he's moved by the people who understand him. And he struggles with the people who don't. They're like, oh, well, you're a teacher, but are you really? They're always doubting him. Jesus is moved by this woman because she knows who, she, who he is. And she responds. You know, it wasn't just that, all right, I know this, and so it's going to be a very, very head-level thing. You know, with the facts laid out. But she's like, you know, I know my heart. And I'm going to do something. I'm going to show you my faith. I think for us, for me, it's challenging to show my faith. You know, to have that, you know, that, that faith, that knowledge of God, and to demonstrate my knowledge. You know, to, to go out and do things that require me to have faith. You know, not just like, I'm going to go in faith that I'm going to get a parking spot. Or I'm going to go in faith that I'm going to be there in time. It's like, no, I'm going to put myself in a spot where God promises this is going to happen and I know it. I know God. And I know He's going to come through. And putting yourself in a spot like that. Knowing God. Respecting God. Knowing just what He can do in the fullness of it. You know, knowing the power. You know, Paul talks about you know, being united with Christ and, and knowing you know, that resurrection. I was like, man, like, that's kind of, that's kind of crazy, but, but getting to that point where you know God so closely. You know, that, that man, as, as we as a group, that we know God so well, that we go out and we just do things that the world's like, what are you doing? And how did that happen? You know, that's how you demonstrate your knowledge of God, is showing that you live it, and that there's something more you know, that there's something greater than just, I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to show up to church and I'm, gee golly, going to be a good Christian. But it's like, no, it's that, it's that realness. Like, God, I don't know if this is going to work out, but I trust you. I trust what you say. But on the opposite, opposite side, the people who don't know Jesus, the people that, that, that 
have the, the head knowledge of God, but don't really live it, those are the people that have the hearts. Those are the people that, that have all the knowledge, yet it just doesn't click. You know, that they just, they know, they've seen, but for some reason it doesn't click. Turn with me over to, uh, to Joshua 7. Feel free to speak up. I, you know, I like encouragement. I know that maybe I floored you. You're just like, ah. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay to speak up. It's okay to amen. We're in Philly. We've got some soul. Joshua 7 in, in, in verse 1. Part of knowing God, part of knowing who He is, is understanding what He can do. Understanding that, that this is the God that has the power, if He doesn't think about us, we fall apart. You know, the, the very atomic level, you know, the very, the very glue that binds matter together just falls apart. You know, the, the Bible talks about how everything is held together through Christ. You know, that, that we are these people that are totally reliant on a day-to-day basis to take another breath because of God. You know, and showing that, like seeing that, and, and knowing that, seeing things in your life that, that kind of back that up, it's especially, I guess, hurtful to God when we don't respond, you know, in a way that's faithful, in a way that's obedient. You know, and when if, I've, if you've ever had a relationship and you tell someone explicitly, listen, don't do this because it, I, it bothers me. Like, don't. Don't come up behind me and touch me in the way I hate it. Like, me, I don't like back hugs. Don't hug me from behind. I don't like it. People that do that, it bothers me. I'm like, ah, like, get out of here. But the same thing with God. Like, the same thing, I mean, I'm sure you guys have your things too. Like, that one thing, like, man, you left one drop of milk? Come on! Like, that one drop of what can I do with the one drop of milk? Nothing. I just be angry about it. Oh, my God. But the same thing goes with God. I mean, is that so crazy to think that, that God doesn't respond in the same way? You know, the things He asks you to do, the things that he, he just really desires from you and His relationship with you that you don't do, that you ignore, is it so crazy to think that, that He's hurt by that? That He's bothered by that? Let's look in, in Joshua 7. Joshua 7, verse 1. It says, But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of, the, uh, some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, uh, Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up, and they spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. And do not weary all the people. So only a few men are there. So there were about 3,000 that went up. But when they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them, they chased Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. You know, in this story, I mean, God makes it very explicit. He's like, you know what? Go take over the city. I'm going to be with you. It's going to be awesome. You're just going to like stomp these guys. I mean, they got nothing on you. I'll show them what's up. And so they go in and they just, they do exactly what God says. 
They just stomped these people. Like, they just dominated them. But God says very clearly, any gold, any silver, any iron is supposed to be mine. You know, put it aside for me. That's mine. And so Achan is just like, you know what? I'm going to take a little bit. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, we're just raking it in. There's so much stuff. I mean, we would probably barely carry it. I'm just going to take a little bit, and that'll be fine. Like, you know, it's not going to be a big deal. Well, I mean, God finds them out, and God is, like, disappointed. I mean, not just with him, but the entire nation of Israel. Like, one guy causes tons of death. I mean, he's responsible for 36 people's death. I mean, that's, that's, that's a mass murderer in, in, our, in our society. But he deliberately defies God, thinking, you know, whatever, it's not that big of a deal. And I'm not sure what he thought when he was doing this, but he's found out. It comes back to him, and, and basically God calls him, and he's like, you know what, separate every tribe. You know, we're going to find out who this is. So they separate each tribe, and they pull his tribe out. And they're like, all right, from all these tribes, from this tribe, separate families. So they take his family. You know, and then, all right, take, take people. And so they take him. And his sin is just laid out there. I mean, he's exposed. He's, he's just laid, like, out open. Like, he's just like, all right, you know, this is what I've done. And he gets open with it. And the crazy thing is, they stone him. They completely kill him. And for me, I'm like, man, that's just not a, that's not a God of love. You know, that's crazy. I mean, that's, that's brutal. I mean, they, they just kill him. I mean, he, he got open about it. But the thing is, like, God told him, I don't want you taking it. It's mine. It bothers me. You know, I'll give you. I'll take it. I've taken care of you for 40 years. I'll take care of you for a few more, I guarantee you. You know, God is with him. But he doesn't trust God. You know, he doesn't obey God. He doesn't really understand God. And so he goes and he disobeys God. And God is like, no. I'm not going to have it. You know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be, you know, in a relationship where people don't respect me. I'm not going to be in a relationship where people don't listen to what I say. I mean, for you guys, I think the same thing is true. When that cost-benefit analysis comes, and there's somebody that never listens to you. They never care about what you say. They're cutting you off. You know, they, you tell them, like, hey, you know what, it'd be really great if, you know, uh, you know, you could do this for me. And they're like, yeah, sure. And then they just don't do it. You know, like, those people, you're just like, I don't, I don't really want them to pursue them. I don't really want a relationship with them. They just... They just don't love me. They don't care. They don't listen to anything I say. You know, they just don't love me. God is the same way. God is the same way where, man, if, if we're not following what he says, I mean, how can you really say you love me? I mean, this is a question that I'm asking myself. If I, if I ignore God, if I ignore what he's telling me to do, do I really love him? I don't know. I, I, I mean, honestly, like, ask yourself that question. Man, like, when those times come and you're like, you know what, I don't really want to do this. You know, I don't. Want, I, I just don't want to talk to this person right now. I don't want to. I don't want to get in there and, and pray with this person. I just don't feel like it. You know? Do you really love God? Do you really? Are you? Are you one in mind with Him when you're thinking that way? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. But in the opposite, you know, God really. I mean, in the same way that that, that one man caused so much death you know, for, for Israel. One man also saved the entire nation of Israel by his actions. Turn with me to uh, Numbers 25. 
You with me? Tracking. Like I said, it's real simple. Knowing God is really simple, but very hard to put into action. Oh, i got to get there. Numbers 25. Uh, we're going to pick up in uh, verse 6 and just kind of some backstory. You know, this is, this is kind of, uh, you know, when Israel's going along and, and they're, they're basically like intimidating everybody with how large they are. They're just this massive crowd and, and they're just intimidating everybody they come near. And so... Another kind of side study you guys can do is study out Balaam. Just do, go into uh, Bible Gateway and type in Balaam and just see where he comes up because it's kind of, kind of interesting. You read his story and you're like, why was you know, God so displeased with him? You'll find out more, but we'll pick up in, in, in verse 6. It says, Then an Israelite man brought to his family a Mennonite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites, for he was zealous as I am for my honor among them, so that in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Therefore tell him I am making a covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of everlasting priesthood because of the atonement, or sorry, because of, because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. You know, at this time, you know, God had told the Israelites, don't, don't profane yourself to the people around you. You know, don't, don't be involved with them. You know, don't don't get don't take wives from them. Don't take their gods. Don't don't you know don't don't profane yourself in that way. Be holy. Be set apart. Be these people that I've made you to be, that are without blemish, that are perfect in my eyes. And so they're camping there, and so all the men just start getting involved with women. You know, like they just start sleeping around. They're like, oh, you know what, the women are available. Alright, let's do this. And so they start getting, and they, and they start actually bowing down to these gods that, that the Mennonite women would worship. And they started to kind of lessen their convictions. They started to kind of concede on what they believed and, and where their faith lied. And so it got so bad that they had the solemn assembly. And the solemn assembly is when the whole nation would get together and they would just confess this is what we've done, this is what we've done before God. And the leaders would come and they would hear it and they would confess and they would just get it all on the table. So as they're doing this, this guy gets up. And I don't know if, you, if you've ever done this, but you know, you're in church or you're, you're in this, you know, like watching a play or something like that and you get up in the middle of the play and you have to go to the bathroom or something like that and you're like, excuse me, excuse me, everybody's looking at you, you're walking down, everybody's looking at you and you're like, come back in. And, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Everybody's just like, what is wrong with this guy? Think about that with a whole nation watching you. Whole nation watching you, and you have the gall to get up in front and be like, you know, you grab this woman and in front of the entire nation. You just I can imagine everybody's just like watching this guy. 
just slowly walking, you know, in front of everybody. You know, he had the audacity, not even to do it in secret, but to do it in broad daylight in front of everybody. Like, that's how disconnected he was with God. That's how little he had a fear and a respect of God. You know, it's like, you know, what we were talking about before, those things that you ask people not to do. You'd be like, hey, can you not finish the milk? And the guy just drinks it right in front of you. Yeah, sure. Oh, what? Oh, this milk. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's, that's what it felt like to God. It was just a front. And at that moment, God was ready to wipe out everybody. He's like, that's it. I'm done. I'll find another people. I'll start over. I don't care. I mean, this, this, these people are disgusting. Like, I've told them not to do it. I'm going to wipe them out. And so Phineas had that same heart. He's like, how could this guy? I mean, we're here. We're trying to get, we're trying to get right, and this guy's messing it up. And so you know what? He doesn't say something. He doesn't get up and be like, hey, that's not right. He's like, you know what? I'm going to fix this right now. And he goes and he gets a spear. <laughs> you know, and he goes around. And it's like, man, like, brothers, please don't pick up spears when, when we have issues. <laughs> give, me, give me a chance to repent first before you harpoon me. But he goes and he grabs a spear and he just falls him into a tent and he's just like, bam. Right through both. I mean, this is, I think of like priests being kind of like these frail kind of, this guy was like, through both of them, like, this guy was like jacked. I don't know what kind of priestly duties he had. Maybe he had to like, <laughs> get to like clean the ashes out or something. He was just like jacked. But, you know, he's just like, this is not right. And I know this is God, this is God to repay, but I cannot stand for this. I cannot stand for this person profaning God, insulting God. Insulting everything that we stand for. I cannot stand it. How often do you take that same mindset? You know, women, with you, would you rather have a brother that's just like, hey, you know, you know, that's not right. You know, when, when, those, when those guys, you know, the, the guys that you're walking down the street and they're calling out to you, they're trying to talk to you, they're trying to do all this stuff, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a brother that's like, hey, listen, man. No. I'm sorry, but no. Or would you rather have a brother just like, you know, just watching it happen? I mean, I don't know, but I want, I want someone who's a man of action. I mean, if my sister is here, you know, my blood sister, you guys are my sister, I love you, you guys are great. But if my blood sister is in here, and some guy, some guy that, that is just looking to, to sleep with her, is just trying to talk to her, you better believe I want some guy that's going to stand up. I mean, I might be like, you know, if he, if he pulled out the spear, I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool for you. <laughs> But no, you want those guys that are willing to do it. You know, with you ladies, like, to have someone that's willing to get in there, to say the tough stuff, to, to weed, like, wade through that, you know, heavy emotional, like, I mean, we guys have it too. It's not just you guys. We, us guys have that emotional stuff as well. But that tenacity to just be like, you know what? You're not right. I'm going to help you through it. I'm here. I'm going to do it. But being someone of action, you know, sharing that zeal of like, you know what? This person is hurting, and I'm going to go after them. Because it's not okay that they're out on the fringe. It's not okay that they're not doing okay. Like, it's not okay with me. You know, to having that heart of God, seeing people and just being like, you know what? I can't stand the fact that they are hurting. I can't stand the fact that they're not doing well. I can't stand the fact that this whole part of the city doesn't have a group in it. That doesn't have something that they can go to. You know, understanding God's zeal, understanding His heart, I'm going to call a couple of these guys up, you know, that, that have had pen restored and, and baptized lately. You guys can come up here. Um, and I've asked them to share 
But I asked him to share because there are two guys that, that have kind of made that decision to really have God's heart, to follow God. And really, I mean, they've made this decision recently. And I think for us sometimes it's good to kind of hear why. To kind of hear why, you know, these guys have, have done this. So I'm going to ask him to share. I'm just going to share a little bit. Hello, everybody. My name is Mr. Rains. Um, I grew up in a background where I kind of knew God, but didn't really know God like that. Went to all Catholic school, um, and it's just I didn't just know God. I just went to church and went home. Didn't really know what else to do. But I went through my trial and tribulations, you know, school and partying and fights, stuff like that. But it wasn't until I met my grandpa and you know got with him, and he ended up dying of cancer, and then. A, close friend of mine, she died of cancer, and uh, that right there, just, I just broke my heart right there, and I just you know, needed some guidance, I was just going along life, not knowing nobody, not just floating in the air, and then I met you know, Tracy, and then you know, I met her at the first store, something like that, and then she gave me a car, said, come to this church, I'm going to tell everybody a secret, but she said, gave me a car, she said, come to this church, you know, Easter Sunday, so I'm like, all right, I'll come to church. So I came and then it just blew my mind. Everybody was so friendly. I met everybody, got like four or five numbers in one day. So it was cool. And I just kept coming back, kept coming back. Um, I got to a Bible, Bible study with John and Charles and Brad. And it was, it was, I was kind of hesitant at first, but you know, I finally got into it you know, through hearing a sermon about getting into the Bible and getting close to God. So I was like, let me do this. Let me get into the Bible. So I got to the Bible. You know, they told me my whole, all the sins and repentance. I'm like, I do all of this. So I need to be, I need to be baptized. So I was like, let me do baptize, let me get that set. So the plan was to be baptized at the pool outside of the art museum. So I was going to do that with my mom, my pop, everybody was going to be there. But then I went up to men's camp and just seeing all the men there, just seeing all the, the unity. I was like, wow, I can't. Pass this up. So, you know, I reached over to Charles. He was sitting next to me. I was like, Charles, I'm ready. He was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm ready to be baptized. He said, okay. So we went to told John, then John told Brad, then they announced it. And then everybody was like, hey, hey brother, you get baptized. So then we went to the pool, and that was that. So, All right, uh, my story is a little different from, from Mr. Right. <laughs> my name is Charles. I'm originally from Brooklyn. I got saved in Brooklyn in 92. Um, I, I was a disciple for two years. I left, uh, whatever. <laughs> and through the 17 years that I was gone, I had um, just a lot of things happen. I mean, um, but in the back of my mind, I always knew that I was coming back. It just didn't know how, didn't know when, and um, I didn't have, like, death or anything, like, well, I did, actually, but, um, but that wasn't the reason why I came back, it was more like, um, my heart was ready, like, I was, my heart was, was softer than it was before, and it was, um, I could hear more, or I could feel God pulling me 
towards him. So now it was, through the 17 years I wasn't reading, I wasn't praying, so when I started praying and reading again, it, everything started making sense. Um, I went online, found out where the church met, and I came out Sunday, and the rest is history. Um, but I just wanted to share something that kind of, to me, represents, like, me. <laughs> this is um, in Titus uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 3. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And for me, um, coming back was, was simple. It was an easy decision, um, knowing that God did so much for me. Um, even, through, even through everything I've been through, and I've been through a lot in the 17 years, um, I'm still here. Uh, and I'm grateful. Just to... Can I get a little person? All right. <laughs> in uh, 2005 or six, I was, I was 33 at the time. I had a heart attack. So when I had, when I had my, my heart attack, um, I had a friend who was religious, and she asked me, well, why didn't you go back to God then? You know, you, you, almost, you basically could have died. And, um, and I didn't. And I was thankful that I didn't die. Because in my mind, I was like, well, God has something else planned for me, but I'm just not ready to approach God. Because I don't feel like I'm worthy of being in his presence at the time. So, so many years later, after that, and I started reading again, I realized that my mind was just so whacked, and God wanted me back. So it was just, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to be back. I'm grateful that I understand God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's grace, and I'm so appreciative of the blood that was shed for me. And now it's about just sharing the message with others. I was actually met by my parents, which is kind of funny, because my mom is not a disciple right now, but I'm reaching out to her. And she's been to church twice. Some of you have met her. And just pray for it as she, you know, as she comes back. My son is a teen, and he's been to the teen lock-in. So he's, he's, he's going in the right direction. So thank you. I asked those guys to share it because I think that sometimes we can kind of forget what it was like before. You know, like forget what it's like to to really have that world and feel that need and feel that desperation of like, man, I just got to get back. Like, I got to get in it. You just got to have that desire for God. And, you know, in thinking about these things, man, I, I see these, you know, what I've been talking about, I see this in their lives. And so, I encourage you to talk to them. Sometimes it's just good to talk to people who are, who are just getting into it because they're just raw. Like, they're just there. And just there's nothing, there's no, like, you know, 
boundaries or masks or walls put up. They're just, they're in it. They're open. They're just, you know, and sometimes we need that. You know, we need to get back. And now, guys, I share all these things because, to be very honest, you know, I've been challenged with my own faith. And looking at the first century and seeing how they live and, and what they did. And I've been challenged because I don't know if they came and I hung out with them today, if they, if they would recognize my discipleship. You know, I, I'm not trying to live, you know, a, a discipleship that's for the times. Like, I'm trying to live a biblical discipleship. And, I, and I'm trying to help those around me to do that. But I think if we really want that, you know, that, you know, that first century goodness, you know, where they just went for it. Like, they were just part of each other's lives. They did incredible things. And we look at that and we're like, now, how, how is this any different? And I think it's different because in some ways we've lost, you know, our hearts. You know, we've lost our way. You know, we've lost what it means to be a disciple, what it means to, to follow God. And, I, and I, I, I challenge you guys. You know, pray about this. Fast about this. Like, you know, are you really, are you really in it with God? Do you really know Him? You know, does your knowledge of Him you know, does that produce action? You know, does that produce action like the woman who was bleeding? Where you're like, I need him. I have faith in him. You know, I search him out. You know, do you obey him? Do you love him? You're like, you know what? I know this is hard and I know I don't like doing it. But I know that, that it encourages you. I know that this is what you desire in our relationship. And so because I love you, because of everything you've done for me, I'll be obedient to you. You know, and do you share his heart? Like most of all, do you share God's heart? That heart that just breaks for people. It just, it just gushes over people. You know, in their happiness, in their sadness, in their indifference, it just gushes. Do you, do you share that? And if it's not there, get someone in it. You know, get someone there. Get, get your Phineas to help you, you know, get it right, to get that zeal back. But don't let it sit. Like, don't let it be just like this because I mean I, I honestly believe that God wants incredible things for us and I really believe that the only thing that holds us back is us fair, fair, fair and square it's just it's us so family I love you and I just challenge you with these things don't just don't just let this sit here honestly take it pray about it mull it over ask people this is a good this is a good exercise ask someone about these things Ask them if they see it in your life. You know? Go and do it. I challenge you. Guys, I love you. And uh, God be your glory. Amen.